0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. In the meantime, advocates and experts on health policy say the Ontario Liberal government's promise uh, uh, for long-term care beds is too little too late. To talk more about all of this, uh, Natalie Mayra is with us, executive director and report co-author of the Ontario Health Coalition, and is with us now. Natalie, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this.
1: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: So, what are your thoughts? Uh, tell us. Give, give us a couple of bullet points here, and what the concerns are of the Ontario Health Coalition.
1: Well, you know, we've been advocating for a decade or more than a decade now um, to improve the care levels in long term care homes in in Ontario. Um, we've seen the deepest hospital cuts of anywhere in the country. So, we've seen almost twenty thousand hospital beds closed since um, since nineteen ninety. And that means that half of the acute care beds and half of the chronic care beds in hospitals in Ontario have been cut. We now have the fewest hospital beds left of any province in Canada, and only Mexico and Chile have fewer hospital beds than us. So basically what's happened is that long-term care homes today are the chronic care hospitals of old of you know a decade or two decades ago and the acuity as they call it that's the heaviness of care and the complexity of care needed by the residents most of whom have dementia many of whom have very complex health conditions Um, that acuity has gone up dramatically but the care levels have never gone up commensurate to the level of need and so people that can afford it families that can afford it hire in extra caregivers um but people who don't have families or whose families are far away or who don't have the money can't afford to do that and they go without and um and so that's been a major problem for a very very long time two elections ago dalton mckinsey promised on the front page of the toronto star in response to our campaigning that they would bring in a minimum care standard sort of like um Like a ratio. You know how in elementary schools, you can only have a certain number of of students per teacher. Or in a daycare, you can only have a certain number of kids per um, uh, early childhood educator. Well, in in long-term care homes, there's no such minimum care standard. He promised that within three weeks of the election that it would be brought in. That promise they reneged on. Um, and now, again, we're seven months away from an election, and we have a promise to bring in um, mm. an improvement in the hours of care over the next four years and 30,000 new long-term care beds over the next 10 years. Um, so that that's worrisome in the sense that, one, it's good. I mean, I want to say it's good because they're moving on our issues, or at least they're talking about them. But both announcements are back-end loaded, and right now we already have 30,000 people on wait lists for long-term care. So I think Ontarians need a much more concrete, closer-to-today timeline to bring in both of those things, Um, both access to long-term care, which people are really, really suffering without, and, and improvements in the care level to actually meet the needs of the residents.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate Uh, politicians now seem to be booting promises and and problems down the road uh, after the next election uh, as a a way to get elected. Um, You know, boy, this. you look at the entire health system, and we have these discussions week in and week out and week in and week out. And, you know, you try to sort of make sense of it all. Um, But it really seems to me like we're just throwing money after an old model that just isn't working anymore.
1: I think... I think that that's often what has been said. But the truth is that healthcare funding in Ontario has been shrinking as a proportion of the provincial budget right. for decades. Yeah. I mean, like back to the 1980s. And hospital funding has been shrinking um, for decades as well. And so the trajectory is actually down, not up. And at this point, Ontario funds healthcare overall at the lowest rate in the country and hospitals at the lowest rate in the country. So... We're not really throwing money at it. They, they, you know, there's a lot of games that are played. Governments re-announce yep. and re-announce and reannounce money. It sounds like a lot, but it really isn't in the scheme of things, and it isn't, you know, compared to everyone else. And, um, and so, in other words, day, what, so in other way, words, what you're
0: put. saying, so in other words, what you're saying, Natalie, is everybody gets the feeling that there's money being thrown after this hand over fist, and it's not really being used effectively. When in fact, you're not even getting the money.
1: No, the money isn't the, you know, we're well. The, the, the real measure is how do we compare to everyone else? And we're at the bottom of the country by every reasonable measure. Uh, and that, you know, takes its toll. So I think there are two things. One is they have already cut the hospitals. You know, governments have talked now for three governments successively about moving patients out of hospitals to home care and so on. That has already happened. It's happened to a more radical extent than anywhere else in Canada and anywhere that I could find. Uh, and, uh, and uh, the result is that a lot of people are missing care. We need to now, the cuts are too deep on the hospital side, and Mm. we need to restore capacity, and in long-term care as well, we've been 20,000 to 30,000 beds short for two decades. And so, um, you know, to talk about building 30,000 beds is right. That's absolutely the right thing to do. It has to happen. But over 10 years, you know, gives one pause for thought. There's 30,000 people waiting now. Those beds are not even going to be built until many of those people have died and passed on. And the the demand is only going to go up as the population ages. there's no question we can afford maybe
0: maybe that's what everybody's waiting for natalie because they say after 30 years once the baby boomer population goes through that there won't be the abundance of seniors that we're seeing now maybe that's what maybe that's what the plan is uh what about um you know the typical uh retirement center sort of care is that the model is that what we need is more beds in retirement type homes is that what we need
1: the problem is that retirement homes are not health care facilities they're under the landlord tenant act or what's right. now called the you know tenant protection act they're, they're, they're basically governed like apartment buildings are governed right they, you know all of the protections and regulations that protect families and residents in long-term care homes do not exist in retirement homes mm. and uh, they're also very expensive yeah Um, And so people can't afford them, one. And two, it's a market. I mean, it's buyer beware. And for a lot of people who are very vulnerable and old, that that is not the answer for them. Mm. We need a proper long-term care system, Mm. and we can afford it. Every other province in Canada does better than we can. So there's no question we can afford it. Um, It's a question of priorities in government and actually putting the money to care, you know, to... To the front lines of care so to the nurses the personal support workers the people who actually provide the care for people
0: what are other provinces doing that we're not
1: well they haven't cut as much as we have i mean primarily
0: why not They're Not
1: in the same crisis
0: why have they not cut as much as we have
1: it's been a priority for our government i mean we uh, we the government has a few years ago gave massive 1000000000 multi multi-billion dollars uh, worth of tax cuts for corporations um, they had to fund that. Um, you know, that, that followed a, a whole slew of tax cuts in the 1990s. So they shrunk the budget overall um, and uh, and then shrunk health care uh, proportionally. But then in addition to that, so I I believe that, you know, the, the case is clear that we need more funding. But in addition to that, we also need to ensure that the funding goes to care and that the systems are reformed so that, money goes to the front lines and not to executive salaries and consultants and so on and so forth, which people are rightfully very angry about, and and I think that that's correct as well.
0: Uh, what about uh, other gov- governments of the day in other provinces? Is there something we can learn? I mean, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're you're saying that this is a money issue. Tax cuts to big business has taken money out of the levy. Others will say uh, you don't give tax cuts to big business, then jobs go, uh, you know, south of the border. We've already seen that uh, Ontario's manufacturing uh, sector has shrunk drastically. Uh, which I'm sure is keeping monies out of the coffers as well, so other provinces are in the same predicament. What are they doing differently?
1: Well, Ontario's cut taxes more than anywhere else in Canada, so you know we have a ways to go to get back to even an average. I think there's room there, but in addition, um other provinces plan their health systems to actually meet population need, and Ontario's gotten away from that. The last bed study, for example, that's a way of measuring hospital capacity. How many hospital beds do you have in operation? Um, uh, The last one that was done in Ontario was in 1994, 1995. You know, that's decades ago now. So there's, you know, basic planning functions. Like the job of a public health care system is to measure and meet population need for care. Every jurisdiction that has a public health care system Plans as hospitals based on a projection of population needs, Not Ontario. Hasn't in decades. And that's a huge problem. Um, in addition, same thing for long-term care. You know, um, so the idea has been to cut, just cut endlessly, leave it to local hospitals to figure out how to find the cuts, make it illegal for them to hold, uh, to run deficits and let the cuts fall where they may. And the consequences for patients are very very severe in need i mean people with dire need lying on stretchers and hallways of hospitals for days waiting for beds because there are too many cut
2: where do you see this going natalie (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. well it's obviously it's going to be an election issue these announcements by the government i think are aimed to sort of take these issues off the table leading into the election so that they can say oh look we're, we're moving on this we're doing something about this um but but That's not going to happen because people are really in very, very high need that they're not getting what they need. And the promises are too far away to actually meet their needs. Um, So these are going to be election issues. And I think the key thing for Ontarians is to get concrete commitments from all of the political parties um, to measure and meet population need for care and to start to rebuild the capacity so that people who've paid for health care for their whole lives in their taxes mm. actually have it there when they need it.
0: Natalie Mayra has been with us, Executive Director and Report Co-author of the Ontario Health Coalition. Advocates and experts say health policy, uh, on health policy, say Ontario Liberal government's promise for long-term care beds too little, too late. Natalie, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
1: Thank you so much. You're listening to
0: The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on
2: AM 900 CHML.
0: Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, ticket scalping, and, of course, it was uh, just uh, a few months ago the government announced they were going to try to clamp down on this sort of thing with the, the technology and the bots that actually do this. Uh, and, of course, people have been trying to to uh, scam the system and, of course, stop people from scamming the system for years, and we really seem to be no farther ahead than uh, what we have been uh, since, uh, uh, I guess, tickets first started. Remember the old um, Bass, Bass Best Available Seating Services and all that sort of stuff, Ticketmaster? I mean... Bans and and acts have been been having this debate uh, with promoters for years. Uh, That being said, um, fast forward to the Paradise Papers, and, you know, as uh, you and I are getting squeezed for more tax, we find out that the elite in this country are... Of course, uh, using uh, loopholes uh, that they have uh, around the world to uh, avoid paying taxes and such. And of course, we've had former prime ministers, business people, what have you, that have turned up uh, on these lists of late. Uh, Now, also on this list, or in the Paradise Papers, is a person who is a scalper. Yes. Yes. But not the sort of person that stands out, you know, in front of the ACC and says, who wants a pair? This is totally high tech to the point where this person is a millionaire. How does this happen? How can can it take something like the Paradise Papers to expose this? It's bizarre. Let's bring in Michael Veal, professor of the Department of Economics McMaster University. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate
3: this. Good to talk to you, Scott.
0: Michael, are you surprised that someone who's involved in scalping is mentioned in the Paradise Papers?
3: Not at all. Once you computerize it, uh, the sky's the limit. You can make a lot of money in the scalping business.
0: Uh, so were you aware of this are you, uh, are, uh, before this story uh, broke, or is this just something once you put the, uh, cross the T's and dot the I's, it all makes total sense?
3: Well, it was very clear that some people were making uh, large sums in, in the scalping business. I don't know that I would have known that they also would have been involved in the sort of activity that got them into the Paradise Papers. That's sort of two separate things
0: obviously, uh, they know what they're doing. And not only do they know how to make the money, they know how to hide it as well.
3: That's right. I mean, basically, the technology here of scalping is because so many tickets are now sold online, uh, there are attempts to try to prevent people from buying so many tickets, uh, you know, of four or whatever. But if you write the right computer program and you can get by the software that is intended to prevent that, Uh, then you just keep going. And there's lots and lots of opportunities. And people who have tried to buy tickets online often find that even very early after the tickets are released, they find that there's much less selection than they expected, or perhaps even a sellout.
0: How does this change the discussion of ticket scalping? Did anybody even fathom that it was this big and that people were making this kind of money off it?
3: Well, I think everybody understood. Uh I think it's always been a bit of a puzzle uh to economics as to why promoters just don't increase their prices so that if somebody's going to get the money. Why is it not the promoters as a, and the uh the bands as opposed to the uh ticket scalpers that get in between? And what seems to be the case is that the scalpers are good at selling uh ticket prices uh at different prices to different people, including getting the very high prices for the people who just have to go to that particular concert and can't get tickets out otherwise. So I actually think what's going to happen is that we're going to get more concert sales that are going to be a little bit more like the way we buy airline tickets, where some people pay lower prices and some people pay higher prices, and it depends on uh, when you go and, and how you approach it. So that the, the system might, for example, sell a batch of tickets at one price and then another batch of tickets later on, probably those you know, inferior tickets um, at a lower price.
0: Will this be promoters or ticket agencies doing this to try to avoid scalpers?
3: Yeah, because, of course, at some level, they want the money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose if you're going to pay the price anyway as a consumer, uh, you'd probably rather pay it to the promoter if you have to pay it a high price and and assume that that will mean for more and better concerts as opposed to paying the scalpers who get in between.
0: If you just raise the base price of the ticket, um, won't that just increase the price of everything all the way down the line?
3: No, I think the ultimate price is is always uh, determined by what people are prepared to pay. And so really you're just sharing out that price. The thing is, is that every once in a while somebody really will pay these very big prices mm. uh, to go to an event because they just really want to see it. And they said, oh, I had to pay $250 for that ticket, but I really wanted to see it. Uh, what's happening is the scalpers are getting that money now. Uh, it's surprising that promoters have not rearranged uh, the way they sell tickets in order to try to get more of those. They, You see they sometimes do it. Sometimes, for example, there are... Blocks of very special high price tickets that have something connected with them that right. uh, yield, yield a high price. Mm-hmm. But I think they're, you're going to see more and more of that and perhaps more sophisticated ways. In the end, the promoters will get to use the same kind of computer technology. Is this, ba-
0: is this basically just saying, guess what, uh, people who are involved in this business, you're not charging enough for your product?
3: Well, I think they're probably charging enough, uh, although there is some argument that particularly bands don't want to be associated with really high prices because it it damages their brand name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difficulty with that, of course, is in the end, people are paying high prices, and are just not paying it uh, through to the bands. Uh, but I think there's some of that, but I think it's also the fact that that in this day and age, there's a lot of products that that people don't pay the same price for, and that the other side of the market that we're, you know, consuming in often is changing prices and trying to extract more from us, and we'll probably find promoters get to be better at that now as they adopt the same kind of technology that the scalpers are using.
0: Are they far behind the scalpers?
3: At the moment, yeah. They're they're very far behind.
0: Because, and, again, as you mentioned, uh, if the scalpers are using this technology, why aren't promoters?
3: It's, I think it's an interesting question why they've been so, so slow. I, I do think that uh, part of it is that there are norms within the business, and the norms are every ticket uh, in a certain class goes at, a same, at the same price. Right. Um, the airlines used to have that. Uh, then they changed, and I suspect this will happen in the, the promotion business as well.
0: Do we all assume that most shows sell this way? I mean, how many find themselves in this predicament? How, of all the tours that go on every year, how many are like this?
3: Uh I don't know, uh, but I suspect that we're only talking about the the big ones, yeah, uh and that there's a whole lo- bunch of events, not just shows but sporting events, whatever, that more or less go at at uh, ticket prices go at uh face value and uh maybe people resell them to their friends, but for either for no more than face value or they give them away or whatever when they can't use the tickets right uh what happens is of course, when there's a big excess demand, in other words, that big announced face value price, there's a lot of people who want to pay that price, and there's more people who want to pay that price than there are tickets. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads to this situation, of
0: course. Uh, reason for not changing the template, would that be regulation, or just the way, it, that's the, the way it's always been done in the past? Uh, I mean, obviously, we've seen technology change the, the music business. Is there still some change here to, to happen?
3: My guess is that while governments might want to regulate this, this is going to be a very difficult area to regulate, and perhaps they would be, be wise to, to stay out of it. At the moment, I think it's hard to understand why there hasn't been the change, so I can't give you a good answer there. Uh, it's only my prediction that we're going to see it uh, relatively soon.
0: How are, uh, when, when governments, when regulators, when bands, when promoters, when record companies see that guys like this are making this kind of money, how is that going to change the discussion? I mean, again, this is, for, you know, as soon as you see people making this kind of money, this goes beyond the fan. Yeah. This goes beyond the fan being ticked off.
3: I think they all knew that this kind of money was being made. I think that there may be a bit of surprise as to how concentrated it is and the fact that uh, the, the market share that's going to these really big guys who have the computer programs uh, is probably a little larger than they expected. But in terms of the overall money that they. They, I think they have a pretty good idea what their tickets are actually selling for. Um, but they did not, so far, go into the kind of technology that would extract more of that money for them. And whether that's an issue of bands not wanting to look bad, thinking that they'll look like the ones who are doing the, the money-grabbing, or whether it is something deeper than that, I don't know. But I, my guess, as I keep saying, I think it will change. It will change because it's hard to leave that much money on the table. And that's
0: the way they'll go. Uh, And again, I just can't see this not sending up more red flags. I mean, again, it's one thing to have a country ticked off because they couldn't get tragically hip tickets. This is a whole different, you know, you're putting this guy in the same category as other people who, you know, politicians and such who, who, you know, who are trying to hide the fact that they're using loopholes that, that are illegal, but the rest of us don't have access to.
3: Yeah, well, the other thing that could happen is governments could go in and and uh, regulate the sale of tickets. Uh, the problem with that is that whenever you regulate the market, there are always unintended consequences, and one of those will be that the tickets won't necessarily go to the people who want the most, and concerts that might have happened in an unregulated world just won't happen uh, because the the regulation will effectively make them not financially feasible. So regulation is pretty clumsy. Uh, the market. Uh, we'll probably adjust to this, but the, the, the problem essentially is that there are people who have this relationship. They say they don't really want to pay the $250 for the ticket, but they really want to go to that show, and yeah. in the end, they pay the money. And, of course, if somebody's prepared to pay the money, there's always somebody prepared to take the action required to accept
0: the money. So uh, we've been having this discussion forever, Michael. Obviously, this is going to be a long, slow process to see any any progress or any change here of any sort.
3: Yeah, well, I've been reading about it on the web. Uh, apparently some uh, bands have decided to avoid the problem by doing fewer concert dates but staying in the same city more so that they increase the supply of tickets so that their fans in that city don't have to pay as much hmm. because the, the band's there for three or four nights and so there's, there's more supply to go around and the tickets don't get up so much and that the bands save a little bit of money because they don't have to pay as much cost in terms of the transport and moving sites. They get to stay in one place for longer, and that's a little bit cheaper to operate. I don't know if that'll catch on because, of course, the other reason for concerts has been traditionally to promote the name of the band more widely, and uh, mm. that will probably compromise that objective if they only go to a few sites and you know instead of the T-shirt having like 20 names on the tour, right. it only goes to four or five cities, <laughs> but really hits those cities thoroughly. That might change the way the tour is perceived. It'll all be
0: dates, not cities. Yeah, uh, it's not really a concert, though. Then Michael, it sounds more like Uber.
3: Well, Uber, in fact, has taught us a lot about the technology here, right? And basically what's happened is that the scalpers have figured out the Uber technology uh, before the promoters have.
0: Mm, Interesting. Michael Veal has been with us, professor with the Department of Economics at McMaster University. Fascinating discussion. Thanks for the time, Michael. As always, have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Rudy Blair, Rudy Blair Entertainment. Uh, We've talked about this many times with him as well. Rudy, thanks for taking the time.
2: Not a problem, my friend. Good uh, talking to you.
0: Are you surprised that a guy who's scalping tickets and, and, you know, figured out all this bot stuff is a guy who's also mentioned in the Paradise
2: Papers? No, I'm not surprised at all. I'm going to tell you something, too, and I hope I'm not going to be too offensive. But to me, this guy is HIT, hit, and then you can add in the other letter into that. And I'm saying that because of all the things that have been going on with fans trying to get tickets for concerts, people who work really hard. I mean, there are people out there who uh, are working two, three jobs. Maybe the only time they have fun is going out to a show. Mm. Tickets are already expensive as it is, and this guy doing what he's doing, yeah, this guy is just pure crap on what he's doing. The fans who deserve to be out there, to go out there to have a good time and enjoy the artists that they love. You know, it's one thing, Rudy,
0: you know, when guys are standing, our girls are standing out in front of venues and saying, who wants a pair, who wants a pair? Uh, But this is, uh, you know, I'm thinking that the average person on the street that's buying tickets uh, isn't thinking when they go on StubHub or wherever or what have you that they're actually funding a millionaire who's, uh, you know, mentioned in the Paradise Papers. I mean, do you think this is going to send up any other or any more red flags? Usually it's just a pissed off concert goer. But this is this seems a lot bigger than that.
2: Well, you know, I've been reading the story. I've actually gone on his on his uh, Twitter. I've tried to go on his Facebook he doesn't really have a lot there. But the one thing I'm trying to figure out is this guy is claiming, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay, he's claiming that he has deals with the venues. Um, so he's able to get these tickets before everybody else. Now, if this is true, that's a serious problem if the venues are actually providing him with the tickets. Me personally, I don't believe that. Because then you have to go in and, and as the story says, and he's using all these alias names. Well, if he's using all these different names to get these tickets, then why would he need that if he has deals already with the venues? Look, I've gone to events where the venues have made announcements that they have deals with certain companies. So, you know, that is completely uh, legit. But for somebody like this who keeps coming up with these stories, I and mean, this guy is slippery, and really the more stories he tells, I think the more he's going to hang himself and I'm hoping that the investigation that's going on in the UK, I hope it leads back down here into Canada, because we need this kind of stuff going on, because as you know, uh, last year with the tragically hit going on tour and so many people wanting to get tickets, and then those, those awful bots out there stealing the tickets from these fans, and, and the hip made sure, hey, no, this was not going to happen. We're going to make sure that our fans get their tickets, and they did that. We need more of those kind of things going on right now. You have to wonder,
0: though, with this being this sort of thing being an international affair, like, this guy's going to get caught in a net somewhere. You said slippery. I mean, at the end of the day, if I was this guy, I'd be laying low. I'd be, uh, shh, don't tell anybody. Get under the covers. Turn the lights out.
2: Well, you know what it is, and, and you know as well as I do, when you have somebody who has an ego like that, who feels that he has power over people, who is making a whole lot of money. A lot of them, you remember a lot of, there were a lot of guys in business back in the 80s who were like this. We have some people like that now in the public who think, hey, you know what, I am untouchable. Well, there's one thing I truly believe in. Karma is that you know what, and you've got to pay the bank back at a certain point in time. This guy's bank is ready to come after him and say, hey, you owe us with interest. I, I truly believe that uh, with a story like this coming up, I think, and that's the one thing about... That's great about social media and things like that because it gets out to people more and more. People are going to be more aware of what's going on. I still need to go back to the claims with the venues. I would love to hear from these venues, uh, whether it be in the U.K. or in Canada or wherever else, and have them come out and say, look, we have no deals with this guy, because that could hang them just a little bit more.
0: Well, you know, maybe, who knows what's going on under the table here, Rudy? I mean, this guy could guarantee a sellout, guarantee to get their uh, tickets marketed worldwide, blah, 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 blah. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy's becoming a service to them.
2: He is, but, you know, he's, But here's the problem. Here's the thing. Concerts are going to sell out. You know as well as I do. You've got somebody that's hot, like, if Taylor Swift right now turned around and said, I'm going on tour you really think she needs him to sell out anywhere? Yeah. Justin Bieber doesn't need him. Yeah. Rolling Stone don't need him. You, too, don't need him at all. What this guy is doing is he's living off of not the rich and famous. He's living off to, like I said earlier, yeah. the 9-to-5 person, the person who's working at that job that doesn't pay a whole lot of money and they've got to save up money or they've got to use their credit card and know that they're going to have to pay for the next six months to pay for that ticket. be able to go. That's the money he's making off of those people. And that's one of the other things I would love more and more. I mean, it's like you can't even turn around and say that, hey, you know what, maybe we could only limit the amount of tickets because he's using aliases. And if that's not the case, then he'll probably turn around and hire people because if I understand correctly, he has 20 people under his staff. So they're probably the Mm. ones where his aliases are going out there and getting these tickets for. So, there's got to basically what needs to be done is he needs to be shut down. Dubhub definitely needs to be shut down. And people like Live Nation, I know the folks at Live Nation, they're hard workers. They're doing everything they can to make sure that fans do get their tickets. They just got to work a little bit harder and come up with something else. And truly, the government needs to be involved with this. This is a different world now. It's not like, as you said before, we would stand in line, you know, maybe for two days to get tickets. No, this is now cyber. And if you got cyber, then we need the cyber police to take care of it. Yeah,
0: I think there's lots of red flags going to be flying up here from the uh, Canada Revenue Agency just alone. Rudy Blair has been with us. Rudy Blair Entertainment. Rudy, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Lots of stuff going on in regard to uh, political correctness. Uh, Tim Horton's. Puts out a poppy, a poppy donut in Calgary, and the crap hits the fan. All right, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, and uh, of course Alyssa PR, and uh, with us now to talk everything from sex scandals to donuts to Christmas music. Hi, <laughs> hey, Alyssa. How are you today?
4: I don't know where to start.
0: Dog. Yeah, really. What do you want to start with? Dessert or get right to the main course? Here.
4: Well, I don't know. We can start with dessert.
0: All right. Let's uh, uh, let's end with dessert. Uh, okay. Your thoughts on the whole Louis C.K. thing, Charlie Sheen prior to that. Uh, how does this sweater completely become unraveled? What's going on here in Hollywood?
4: Wow, wow, wow is all I can say. It's almost like you re- look at the paper and wonder who's next. And I think that anybody, we have talked about this, Scott, anybody and everybody who committed, you know, sexual, you know, who who had sexu- sexually violated children, girls, boys, women, and thought that this was some big secret that they could get away with forever and ever? No, they can't. And the whole news about Louis C.K., again, another open secret among the community of people who make us laugh of comedians. It was well-known and yet now people have become emboldened. Before it used to be, you know, you scare tactics and intimidation and they, you know, the secret will be safe and you better not tell anybody. Well, people aren't scared of that anymore. And I think the difference is, Scott, is that now you have reporters. This, is, this just isn't he said, she said. You now have a third party from a respected media outlet with all sorts of investigative reporters, forensic accountants, anything and everything at their disposal in order to do this investigation on the paper's behalf and then come out with it for everybody to see. And when you have evidence that is corroborated, um, not just by the people giving it, but by, you know, emails, phone calls, um, other friends who knew about this, It's almost impossible for these people to say, well, no, this person's a liar.
0: Uh, Louis C.K. out ahead of this saying, uh, yep, it's true. Uh, He wielded his power irresponsibly, had no idea of the scope of the hurt.
4: Yeah, okay, that's fine. And how many years has this been going on?
0: Hmm.
4: You know, it's one thing, like everybody's going the apology route, which is what you should do. I mean, good communications does dictate, you know, apologize. But honestly...
0: That, I mean, that, that's when you get one of these every so often, not when the floodgates open up and the, you know, the, the barn, uh, you you're know, being stampeded here.
4: You know, a lot of these things go back, you know, 10, 12 years. And, you know, th- th- nobody's prosecuting anybody here, so nobody can sort of cry statute of limitations. But honestly, I mean, yes, you can apologize, but really, this behavior is so abhorrent. Do you honestly think that apologize is, you know, just sort of going to clean the slate? No, it's not, and it's going to continue to roll. It's going to continue to roll against Charlie Sheen. There'll be more people likely coming out against Kevin Spacey. Uh, more people with Harvey Weinstein, who who apparently hired you know former Mossad agents to intimidate the people that he has. Yeah, that's violated. pretty wild,
0: isn't it? That's right out of a movie.
4: Yeah, well, it's like out of this one old movie. You know, yeah. Thought if I had to write a script and protect yeah. myself, well, what would I do? Oh, I know. I'll phone the Israelis and get some massage.
0: (laughs) So what will we say when we realize this is how Hollywood is operating and has done for years? Because I refuse to think that most of the people involved in Hollywood participate in this in some way. I don't think it's that good.
4: Well, no. And I'll tell you, I mean, I was with a group of women this morning and they were, I will never see another Kevin Spacey movie again. Um, there are people who are vehemently opposed and will not support Hollywood, who has supported these actors and swept a lot of this under the rug. I mean, there's a lot of people who are guilty of this. It's just not the celebrities that we read about on the front pages. It's their assistants. It's the casting directors. It's the directors, the producers, the studio heads. Everybody is known, and everybody has been complicit So now nobody is willing to cross that line. And, you know, there's no one body that can provide, you know, regulation in order to, you know, course correct this. It will be very interesting to see if this is course corrected or if this behavior will continue. Um,
0: Could this be a change in? Could this be an an entirely uh, paradigm, entire paradigm shift for Hollywood? I mean, old Hollywood's on its way out. Uh, The big studios are sort of, uh, you know, the 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 the, the, the tide is changing. We're seeing more smaller independent things. We got Netflix. We got this. We got that. Is this just a part of the old Hollywood establishment that? perhaps could now be on its way out?
4: You know, it very well could be, and that's a really good point, Scott. You know, the fact that this has been happening for so long and, you know, parents dropping off their kids to, you know, TV shows or movies where they were basically sexually assaulted, you know, it's got to give pause to anybody and everybody who was in this industry. And it would be interesting to see if that, you know, stops parents from putting their kids, you know, forth, you know, to be in the next TV show or people will stop going to the movies. I think that the best way to show one's displeasure is, you know, money talks. And if you're not spending it to go see movies, um, how else are you supporting the system?
2: Hmm.
0: All right, let's move on. Uh, Tim Hortons decides to do a poppy donut. Uh, Your thoughts? Bad PR or, gee, just trying to be nice?
4: I can't believe this this is where it went. You know, this is, you know, we often say that social media is, you know, put citizen journalists in the forefront and allowing them to express their opinion, whether it's for or against something. And this, you know, I read this and I thought, please, people, this is a donut. Somebody saw a donut. And made all sorts of assumptions as, well. Are the sales of this donut going anywhere? Isn't this in bad taste? Not thinking to actually do any homework behind it before mm. they went and spouted off on Twitter. So I have to say that I think
0: this is really
4: much a dough about nothing. I just made that up.
0: <laughs> wow, that's good. I, what's it? What's bad. with that donut? What's that donut filled with?
4: You know. Exactly. You know what? And I read this, and I just sort of shook my head. And, yeah. You know, there's some things where I'll definitely come down on the line of something. But I read this, I thought it was a poppy donut. The guy was just sh- trying to, you know, say something about our veterans. And
0: and I bet you um, the veterans love that dang donut, too. I bet you when they're sitting bet, there, they're all sitting there, and they're having their coffee right now in Calgary, enjoying that thing.
4: I bet you
0: ate it up <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Christmas music Tis the season, holiday music Whatever you want to call it uh, I, I remember uh, being in Elevator Radio many years ago And having to do this And it was just, we dreaded this We absolutely dreaded that immediately after uh, um, Remembrance Day we, We'd start playing Christmas music uh, Has it got to the point where people have figured out That this is just a sham To, uh, to get you to spend more money Or uh, I- are people still loving this?
4: I think, it, you know, I think it's sort of inoffensive. You know, it, it, people i like, been listening to Christmas music. I walked into Starbucks the other day and, you know, there was some old Frank Sinatra, you know, song or somebody crooning some Christmas songs. And I thought, oh, tis the season. I mean, yeah, people know what it's all about. People know that Christmas is coming. This is not new, uh, you know if you don't like the music walk around with earplugs well, you walk around with headphones all the time yeah
0: but you know what the, you know what the argument is is like we don't want to see any Christmas decorations till Halloween's over we don't want to hear any Christmas music till after Remembrance Day uh, Target in the United States said they were they were holding off until uh, until their Thanksgiving weekend and, and as I've talked to business professors about this I think this is a brilliant idea you can make a huge hullabaloo about how you're waiting and you don't want to exploit and then once the day comes that you actually do swing open Christmas at Target or whatever, then you exploit the heck out of it. You could turn this into a huge promotion.
4: What? It's finally Christmas.
0: Yes. Now <laughs> today, the day after the U.S. Thanksgiving in the United, that's Christmas. There's not not going to be any sort of Christmas things until her until that. Oh, point. please!
4: I have now. I just wow. You're loving the Christmas, morning. Alyssa, aren't you? You're I into do this. Love Christmas. I like Christmas. You like but the I'm music. Pushing. I like Christmas. <laughs> but I mean, I just saw on the TV today that there's pre. Black Friday sales. Yeah, what's the date today? <laughs> really? Okay, November tenth. Yeah. Pre Black Friday, so you can cut this any way you want, and you can, you know, message it any way you want. But you know what? It's Christmas. It's retail. We're used to it. I don't think that people are offended. I think that people don't mind that we you know it's as soon as that the holiday the Halloween decorations are down. That you know maybe they wait a week or two before Christmas is up. I don't know. I don't think anybody's losing any sales over it.
0: Alyssa Freeman's been with us, public relations consultant. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time, and have a great weekend. And you too,
4: Scott. Have a uh, donut.
0: I will. I'll have several. That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa. Uh, yeah, you know, I could see the seniors sitting around the Tim Hortons and just digging the poppy donuts. Can't you just see that? I mean, I, you know, I, I could see them probably consuming more of them. No? Uh, let's bring in Theo Cellis, uh, Registered Family Therapist, President of Integrity Works. He's with us now. Uh, boy, you know, you play Christmas music too soon, people get upset, you don't play it soon enough, people get upset, you put poppies on donuts, people get upset. What are we doing here, uh, Theo? Is it, is it too early for all of this? Are we, should we just chill, have a donut, and listen to some music?
5: <laughs> sure, that was funny. Look, let's be clear. Uh, Christmas has no business in November, Scott. I refuse to even consider it until December. Thank you for
0: saying that.
5: I, you know, we've got to draw the line. Someone's got to say what's right and what's wrong, and I'm saying it right now. (laughs) Christmas belongs in December.
0: I agree 100%. Now, uh, what
5: about you, you know? We were we were
0: just talking about uh, with Alyssa about this. You know, Target in the states decided to actually make a big point of this, make a big deal of it, and saying we're not going to do anything until after the the U.S. Thanksgiving, and then they're going to make a big brouhaha about it. Do you think they're going to lose any money, or, or or perhaps even make some out of this? Uh, do, you, do you think they're going to tick off customers by taking this approach?
5: No, I think it's brilliant. I think any time you stand out that's different from everyone else and you take this position, a lot of people will say, hey, that's really, that's awesome, That that's exactly where, you know, that's where I'm at too, and they'll they'll go there just because of that. So they end yeah. up doing Christmas shopping without even knowing they're Christmas shopping, and would <laughs> be a great victory for Target. I think it's a brilliant idea.
0: What about <laughs> uh, holiday music, Christmas music? Uh, it's starting, uh, usually they wait till after, of course, uh, Remembrance Day, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, and, but then it's like nonstop right through, um, good or bad.
5: Uh, I thought it was hilarious when you said I was sent to a late The topic was going to be whether Christmas music could be bad for your mental health. That's awesome. Is it? I, I just thought that was a, okay. It depends what song. Because everybody it depends, it depends what song. what song. I mean, <laughs> it's a Little Drummer Boy, then it's perfectly fine. That's, that's great, but if it's like that, I can't, I, can, I mean, I'll gouge my eyes out if I, or my ears out, whatever, a porcelain in my ears after You're about, baby, it's cold outside. One yeah,
0: more time. you know what, for me, it's Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. I that's hate that a song. Oh, or it's the a...
5: Christmas shoes, where that little boy has got to have new shoes <laughs> for his mama before she meets Jesus. Oh, crap, of course that's bad for your mental health. Everyone knows that i bad for your mental health. I,
0: I think the whole idea here, though, was, Theo, like, everybody seems to like it now. It's like when it's December 20th people are all right i'm out of it i've had enough of this stuff i think that's when the mental breakdown starts
5: yeah repetition over and over and over again but but also that you know let's be you know people also take things way too seriously too right it's that whole you know people get all humbuggy about christmas about how it's become too commercial and all that kind of stuff Look, it's not for someone else to determine what it is if you If you think Christmas should be about something besides it being commercial, then that's your version of Christmas and be happy about it like you don't have to get all miserable about the fact that people are trying to make a living at Christmas by selling you stuff like you don't have to you don't have to like take that on and make it like oh, that's what Christmas has become, and so I'm done with Christmas no, like that's a version of Christmas you don't want to have, so don't buy into it and have your own version, which is about. Leaving oranges in stockings or something like the old days. So it's it, awesome.
0: so it's not about how early it starts. It's change your attitude about Christmas.
5: You know, just I mean, I let's again, let's be clear. Christmas belongs in December, okay? But once we've yeah. established that, I you know, just get in there and make have fun. I I don't know. i may be a little crazy, but I like going shopping at Christmas time. I'm one of these last-second Christmas shoppers. Yeah, that me too. in the malls like. I throw myself in there with great abandon. There's all these people packed around and the music's going on. And, I mean, I just think it's great. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, but it, it really depends on your perspective, right? Like, it, it, it doesn't have to be something that stresses you. But so this idea that we should be really careful about Christmas because it could trigger bad memories for people, and that's why it's bad for the mental health because not everyone's Christmas was great. I mean, okay, there's uh, some element of truth to that. But at the same time, it's not on us to worry so much about triggering everyone all the time about anything. It's still each person's individual responsibility to kind of have their own associations with a particular event. Hmm. Like, I I get it. Like, you may have had a really difficult time at Christmas, or you may have experienced a death at Christmas, and for a while that might be really challenging. But we shouldn't, at the same time, have to, like, hold back on celebrating an event that means something to us because you've had a difficult time with it. Like, that, we have to be sensitive about it. But at the same time, it's up to you to start forming new associations with it as best as you can, too, so that everyone can, you know, enjoy it the best that we can.
0: So if the holidays equal bad times for you, whether it's stress, this, that, or whatever, the early music just reminds you of that stress earlier on, like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this bad time is coming again.
5: Yeah, it can if that's how you continue to think about it, right? So like I try to tell my students and work with my clients, it's it's not the thing in itself that's stressful inherently. It's uh, it's just a particular thing, and then it's how you end up thinking about it and experiencing it that's going to determine how you feel about it. Things don't make you feel things. You, you encounter them in a particular way. You make mm-hmm. sense of them in a particular way. You, you think about them. You process them, and that's how you're going to feel about it. So, so it's, it's really important to not had this idea that, well, this is like a bad thing at this particular time because it's going to make you, you know, it's just a thing, right? It doesn't have to be anything other than what you determine it's going to be.
0: And, you know, like always this time of year, if there's issues, this sort of exacerbates the whole thing, doesn't it?
5: Well, you know, it's it's kind of like for whatever reason we have to have the annual is-there-a-war-and-Christmas kind of nonsense kind of thing, right? It it seems, seems like... It's almost like a requirement in a way to have this big drama show as opposed to just allowing people to have an experience and enjoy it the best we can without complicating it with some sort of political kind of messaging or some sort of angst or some sort of drama or some sort of fight. You know, just we just need to be able to relax about these things and, and take the best that we can out of them.
0: Theo Sellis has been with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. Theo, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, sir. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.